Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whoever you are, whatever you are. Man, woman, Apache helicopter. I'm glad you made it. As always, so much to get through. So much! I really need to start doing less prep. Becoming quite an obsession. I think I have a problem. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am Boogie Bumper, your host. Hopefully, for the next hour or so, we might go a little bit longer today. Because I've got something very, very special for you. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure to be with you. Hope you had a lovely day. I certainly have. Look at all these wonderful names in the chat. Thank you for sharing the show out too, by the way. But that only applies to the people that did share the show out. If you didn't share the show out, I'm retracting that thank you. I'm taking it back. Because that belongs to me. That belongs to me. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Tuesday. It's midweek here on the Boogie Bumper calendar. We are challenging the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. We're going to come out with our new calendar. It's a brand new calendar. It's a three-day work week. Uh, You have to pay me double time to come in on Sunday. And the owner and CEO of TAVshow.com, ladies and gentlemen, James R., is soon going to get a bill on his desk. Double time for the Boogie Bump on Sunday evenings. So, like I said, so much to get through. And a very special tribute show tonight. Something a little different. Some things that need to be said. A spotlight that needs to be shunned. Before we get into it though, a quick reminder. Oh, and I do have have some Florida stuff. I saw some people itching. It's been a couple of days since we've done Florida. Don't worry. I've got Florida up the woozer for you today. So we're going to go down to Florida and ask the question that we ask almost every episode. That being, what the fuck is going on in Florida? What the fuck is going on in Florida? We will be asking. We won't get an we won't get an answer. But we will ask the question nonetheless. So thank you so much for joining us. A quick reminder, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to find out what the fuck is going on in Florida, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Also, if you want to uh, jump in the Discord. Uh, there's a link on my timeline if anybody wants to join the Discord. We share articles in there, little conversations, people share links and stuff, memes. So it's fun. And if you want to join the Discord, just jump on my timeline, hit the link, and voila, Robert's your father's brother. You'll be happy as a dog with 10 dicks to lick. So, like I said, a tribute. I've thought about this a number of ways. How can I crystallize the man who was? Every now and then, ladies and gentlemen, once in a generation, a politician comes along with charm, charisma, a self-made man, someone who has the guts 
and the determination to stand up against the two-party duopoly, the phony two-party system. To effectively magnify and distill the frustration that many people in a society have in the Western world with the two-party system. To defy the odds, to stand up for what's right and to stand against what's wrong. Every now and then, ladies and gentlemen, once in a generation, we are blessed by such a politician. And it's only fitting then that we say goodbye in the appropriate manner. I am, of course, talking about Eric Swarwell, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Bravo, Eric! Ha-ha! 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 You see what I did? Ha-ha! Ha-ha! Huh? 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 How'd you go, didn't I? Huh? Eh? What'd you think of that? Pretty good, wasn't it? Huh? Uh. Eric Swalwell. We'll get to Ross Perot in a minute. <laughs> Let's. But first, I want to say goodbye to Eric Swalwell in the best possible way by mocking him mercilessly on this little show. The Democratic field is narrowing. Congressman Eric Swalwell tonight leaving the race. He's the first candidate to do so See since the race See you later, Eric. Began. Thanks for the He's memories. He's planning to run for re-election to Congress instead. Congressman uh-huh. Swalwell joins me uh, out front now. Congress... Ooh. Congressman, I appreciate your time. Look, I know this was a really hard decision. Very hard. You were on the debate stage <laughs> just a couple weeks ago. Such a hard decision for Eric. It was such a hard decision. You know, Duke Nukem, as he's been dubbed on the interwebs, Eric Swalwell, it was such a hard decision. When he was looking at the polling numbers and he saw that he was coming last in a field of 20, when his polling was below 1%, regardless of all of the platitudes and all of the pleasantries and an obviously superior debate performance, ladies and gentlemen. I imagine it was a very difficult decision for Eric Swalwell to say, "Mm, you know what, I'm just going to have to step aside. I'm just going to have to do the right thing. You had some really big moments. What made you choose to get out of the race now? He had some big moments. (laughs) Can anybody think of one big moment that Eric Swalwell had? Never mind the plural. Never mind moments. How about moment? How about just one? Give me one. Of course, we just breeze right past. Yeah, you had some really big moments. Um, Let's talk about something completely different. Good evening, Aaron, uh, and thanks for having me on. You know, I said from the beginning I was running to win and to make a difference. This is going to be like the Big Brother house. You know, when people get eliminated from Big Brother, they all get that one exclusive interview as they come out. The losers to Big Brother. And they get to talk about what their time in the house was like. Who did they get along with? Who do they think's going to win? We have turned politics into a shitty reality show with no plot and no point. <laughs> and the issue that would have been my top priority as president was to end gun violence. Uh, and I feel like we did advance by them. that issue to a top tier issue. Really? But I also promised <laughs> my- Eric Swalwell. Eric Swalwell thinks that his campaign for president, which lasted, I don't know, two months. Eric Swalwell thinks his campaign for president, which has now ended, polling less than 1% in a field of terrible candidates, is single handedly responsible for pushing the gun violence issue to the top of the heap. He, he thinks he's the guy that's getting people on the left-hand side of the spectrum talking about gun control. Like, no, nobody was talking about gun control in the Democrat Party before I got here. Do you realise that? I've changed this party forever. 
I'm very proud of my campaign. We managed to push gun control right to the top of the agenda. Even Erin. Look at Erin. <laughs> look at Erin. She's like, did he Did he really just say that? He's like, hmm, with the one raised eyebrow. Say what? What, motherfucker? That was you? No. <laughs> my family and my constituents mm. that I'd be honest about our chances. And after yeah. the debates and as the fundraising quarter closed, it, it mm. just wasn't there. No. And if we didn't see a path to winning, there was no other reason uh, to stay in. And so I want right. to you know, narrow this field and, and let others have their shot so we can get uh. a nominee who can beat Donald Trump. I want to give, I want to let others have their turn. I want to let others have their shot. To be fair, that is in keeping with Eric Swalwell's general political philosophy. You'll remember he gave that interview not that long ago where he said, well, when asked questions about, you know, the African-American community or the Hispanic community or the trans-African-Hispanic community or all of the relevant gender questions, when I'm asked something in that realm, I feel that it's improper for me to comment on it because I haven't lived that perspective. So as president, I will I will turn to other people to answer those questions. And I'm like, this this fucking guy hasn't even got the job yet and he's already outsourcing. He's gonna have he's gonna have 50 offices, one representing each gender. He's gonna have an office for the Asians, an office for the African Americans, an office for the Hispanics. And a question comes over his desk. Mr. President, how are you going to deal with gun violence in the African-American community in Chicago? <clears throat> Hand that off. Hand that off to Jerome down the, down the hallway there. That's his, that's his wheelhouse. I'm not a black guy. I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> it's already shipping jobs to Indians and Chinese and, and black people and transgendered people. It's too hard. It's too hard. So when he says, I want to let others have their shot, I tend to believe him. So, you know, I want to go through, as you raise, talk about the fundraising, but also how many people are on that debate stage. And I just went through some of those numbers, right? Together, Democrats uh, raised twice what Trump individually raised in this quarter. But he brought in, uh, you know, more than twice what any individual Democrat has, right? So in other words, it's, it's, it's broken up among a lot of different people. Do more Democrats need to follow your lead, Congressman, and get out of the race, get <laughs> off that debate stage so you can get a nominee? You know, it's a really personal decision, uh, Aaron. And I would just yeah. say I support the Democratic Party process led by Tom Perez, which is to narrow or, or to narrow the field and raise the thresholds. I, I do think as time marches on, as we go to this July debate and then mm. the September debate yep. and the polling threshold and the donor threshold goes up, that'll be good. Uh, and it's enough time for anyone who's on the stage right now to make their case and see their campaign grow. Yeah. Uh, but we do want to really not you know, start to see the field shrink so that candidates can contrast themselves. And I just found the hardest thing was to contrast myself with so many other candidates when you have a field of you know 20 plus individuals. <laughs> The hardest thing for my campaign was standing out. The most difficult for me, thing for me as Eric Swalwell in a field of Democrat candidates was presenting something to the voters that was in any way fucking different on the, on the smallest level to anybody else up on this stage. I obviously wasn't as charismatic as some of the, of some of the other contestants on this reality show. Policy-wise, I obviously wasn't as good as some others. I didn't have the same brand recognition. So I was just one in a sea of faces. And the hardest thing for me was standing out. I was, I was exceedingly average, 
would be another way of saying it. I was so average that I couldn't get more than 1% of the polling numbers in a field of 20 people. Very average. Yeah, I mean, and that was the hard thing, right? Now, but I mentioned at the debate, when you had, you had 10 people on the stage, obviously, both nights, your night, you still had some really memorable moments, uh, including uh, this one. I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention this actually, and said, it's time... To be fair to Eric, this was actually pretty good. But if this is on your highlight reel, this is like hitting a free throw. Like, this isn't, this isn't a, a dunk on, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. This isn't a, a buzzer beater from the halfway line. This is a free throw with like 10 minutes left to go in the last quarter and you're up by 30. Time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issues of climate chaos, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issue of student loan debt, pass the torch. Pass the if we're going to end gun violence for families who are fearful of sending their kids to school, pass the torch. Vice President, would you like to sing a torch I song? I would. <laughs> and Eric is now passing the torch. Well done, Eric. Well done. He's getting out of the way because he's far too average to stand out in a field of very average candidates. Absolutely sensational. What an, what an honour it has been to watch your run, Mr. Swalwell. And congratulations, sir, for having the decency and the integrity to get the fuck out of the way when you realise you can't win and let somebody else have a crack. Well done, sir. You are truly an inspiration to the dozen or so people who would have voted for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Someone in the chat. Now I see him as a six-year-old. Yeah, the haircut doesn't help, does it? The nice little part down the side. You almost picture Eric Swalwell's mum getting the handkerchief and licking it before he goes out on stage. Stop it. Stop it. You know, I, start, I first started thinking about politics when I was six years old. It's like, well, now we know that you didn't have any friends growing up. You were a very, very boring boy, weren't you, Eric? Very average. Av averageness has been a, a quality he has sustained throughout his entire life. All right, let's get to the real stuff here. Ladies and gentlemen, Ross Perot. The first I ever heard of Ross Perot was when he was immortalized in The Simpsons. So in 1992, he ran for the first time, I think. Yes, 92. And I was obviously very young back then, so I didn't know much about him. It wasn't until much later in life when I was like, who the hell was this Ross Perot guy? So the the elder statesman amongst us will remember Ross Perot, and everyone will remember him in their own way. But was he was he the first populist that we can think of in the American political landscape? Was he the most successful one before Donald Trump? He's a very polarizing figure. The Republicans hated him because it was argued that he cost George H.W. Bush the election to Bill Clinton. But if you go back and have a look at some of his economic policies and whatnot at the time, then you'll see that he was very he was very Democrat on most issues. Like modern day Democrats will go, well, actually, that's I could vote for that. But at the time, he was mocked relentlessly, mercilessly by both of the major parties. But let's have a look. Let's have a little look at Ross Perot. 
A solemn day for the Lone Star State. Billionaire tycoon and two-time former presidential candidate Ross Perot has died. Brian Curtis from KXAS in Dallas has a look back on his remarkable life and the legacy he leaves behind in Texas. It was the 1992 presidential campaign that made Ross Perot a household name from coast to coast. We got a lot of crazies out there, haven't we? <laughs> he ran as an independent against Republican incumbent. God, can, can we just go back to the early 90s? Can we go back to the early 90s? I watched like 20 minutes last night of an old debate between uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. And up on the debate stage, and it was all so boring. And I was like, oh, can we go back to that? How good was that? How good were those days? <laughs> George H.W. Bush and the Democratic governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton. George Bush didn't win the Cold War. You won the Cold War. You won the Cold War. That North Texan Texans accent. had already known Perot for decades. He built computer services giant, electronic data systems, or EDS. And in the process, he became a billionaire. Perot would later sell EDS to General Motors, where he had a seat on the automaker's board and was a champion for change. I, in every possible way, was encouraged. Champion, hope and change. Hope and change back in the day. Ross Perot style. I wonder if Ross Perot had have run as either a Democrat or a Republican if he would have won that election. As Shauna pointed out in the chat, he got 19% as an independent. If he had one of the major parties behind him, do you think he would have won? I tend to think he would have given it a real good shake. ...the company to move heaven and earth to get competitive. GM didn't like that and paid Perot $700 million to go away. There is no point in doing anything unless you intend to build the finest public school system in the world. Reform on public in pursuit schools. of excellence was a theme throughout Perot's life. He was a staunch advocate for quality public education. I mean, he could be a Democrat candidate today. Take out Eric Swalwell, put in Ross Perot. We want to build up public education. Our challenge simply is this, is to organize Grassroots Texas and to make sure that every single member of the legislature knows that the people of Texas want reform, want the finest school system in the nation, and are willing to pay the price for reform. Reform and prosperity were at the heart of Perot's 1992 presidential bid. Despite leading the polls at one point on election day, Perot fell short and Bill Clinton became president. Many... Yeah, someone in the chat saying the country wasn't ready for what he was saying. It all came true. A lot of it did, especially the economic stuff. He was ahead of his time. Can I do the accent? Not, not fully. Not fully. Maybe the odd word here and there. I'm, I'm still trying to learn North Texas. It's a, it's a fair bit of twang. Fair bit of twang. The skew system. <laughs> Obviously butchering it. <laughs> People believed he caused Bush... George Bush didn't win the Cold War. You did. The election. One thing was clear. Perot had struck a chord with voters. Millions of you came together to take your country back. Perot's name will forever be known in North Texas. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds familiar. By the way, nobody in Texas sounds like that. Says make my Texas. <laughs> I want to show you something. Old school Ross Perot. This is in 1992. A half hour presentation. We're not going to play half an hour of it. 
But look, look at the way things were done back in 1992. And almost for nostalgia reasons, I crave this again. I wish somebody would do this kind of shit again. Now all we talk about is shit like which hole people should piss in, which race somebody is and why they hate other races, all of this bubbling on the surface garbage. I, I, I yearn to get back to a place where shit like this happens. We got a balanced budget, just like you have to balance your budget. <laughs> Look at the cards budget and the pointer. Out through 98 <laughs> is here. Our plan takes us down to here. That's a $754 billion deficit reduction. Do we have to do it? Of course we do. Wait, the deficit was only $754 billion in 1992? Oh, oh how the times have changed. <laughs> We're going to have a 10% cut in discretionary programs. <laughs> we'll have a 5% cut in specific programs. These discretionary programs include such things as programs. science grants, farm supports, government operations, etc., etc. Down here, we'll have a $22 billion cut in business subsidies. And we will have, over this period of time, $145 billion in interest savings just because we stopped spending so much extra money. So a little bit for everyone. Cutting discretionary spending, but also cutting business subsidies. An old school populist, right? Taking a little bit from either side. Tax decreases. It's not all bad news. It's not all bad we news. We will have a $27 billion decrease in taxes to get an investment tax credit, and that money will be spent to build new factories, buy plant and equipment, and create jobs. Create? That money spent right on the bullseye. Doesn't go in somebody's pocket. <laughs> that money will be spent to create jobs. That money being spent right on the bullseye. Stop spending so much extra money. Right on tax the bullseye. Tax decreases. It's not all bad news. <laughs> we will have a $27 billion decrease in taxes to get an investment tax credit, and that money will be spent to build new factories, buy plant and equipment, and create jobs. That money's spent right on the bullseye. Doesn't go in somebody's pocket to buy a yacht. Right over here, we're going to have a decrease here, and it's a tax credit to stimulate research and development. We call it now research and experimentation. You and I used to call it R&D. But this is to target the industries of the future and make sure that we lead and dominate in those industries. There you go. We're going to spend $10 billion in tax credits on worker training to train our people for the jobs of tomorrow. Now then, we've got to get money from institutions, from individuals, from every place there is money, invested in the treasuries of companies. Now hold that thought. Not shooting dice on Wall Street, invested in the <laughs> treasuries of companies. Not shooting dice so on Wall Street. Have the money to create jobs. We will create more jobs more quickly by putting money into little companies, startup businesses, small businesses than any other way. But that is high risk money. The investor may lose it. We've got to give the investor an incentive to put it there as opposed to buying government bonds or putting it in the bank, drawing interest in a savings account that's federally guaranteed. Just a lot of stuff sounds familiar, doesn't it? A lot of stuff sounds familiar. Investment in in small businesses, tax credits for small businesses, right? infrastructure spending. He really was ahead of his time. And no wonder they hated him too. Yeah, not shooting dice on Wall Street. 
No sure, ball howdy. Ding. Imagine 20% back in 1992 getting 20% of the vote as an independent. That's monumental. But it goes to show you, like, even back then, people were already starting to question, like, the two-party duopoly. Like, this, this, this fervor was already present. It was already there, bumbling underneath the surface. And Perot, you know, not taking the lobbyist lines on certain things and not taking the special interest lines on other things. Just taking a very pragmatic, you know, business-like approach to the budget. A business-like approach to the presidency. How, how different could it have all been if uh, Ross Perot had won that election in 92? Believe me, this comes back again and again and again and again. And if anybody has any hesitation about it, we'll have a 30-minute program on this one because we're going to put it in the Treasury. The money will be used to build the company, to create jobs, and the tiny little money that goes into that Treasury and the tiny little bit of taxes that we don't get. I'd love to know, does anybody know the breakdown? So I know the Republicans blame him for George W. Bush not winning, but I don't know. That might be a factor. That might be a factor. But George H.W. Bush didn't do himself any favours when he pissed on his constituents by saying there would be no new taxes and then he brought in new taxes. So fuck George H.W. Bush. Um, he was more than happy to, you know, hurt his own candidacy without Ross Perot even being there. So I know it's a convenient excuse for the Republicans at the time to blame Ross Perot for George H.W. Bush not winning. But I suspect if the Democrats of the time and the Republicans of the time had have been doing their job and providing, a, you know, an effective option, then Ross Perot would never have got 20% of the vote. You see how this works? So I'd like to know how, don't infringe on my interest, fag, <laughs> says Leatherman in the chat. So I'd like to know what the breakdown was, like how many Ross Perot voters were, you know, more Republican leading and how many were Democrat leading. Was, was it a 50-50 split? Was it 60-40? Was it 70-30? You know what I mean? I don't think it was like 100% Republicans. Because there was a lot of shit that Ross Perot was saying back in the time that a lot of Democrats would have thoroughly agreed with. Will be lost compared to the thousands of people that company may eventually employ. The payroll taxes they'll pay, the income taxes that company will pay. It will be a giant financial pump for our country. Business tax increase. We're going to improve the tax collection from foreign companies. That'll get us $21 billion. Oh, We'll reduce... Tariffs! Tariffs! We're going to increase the tax collection from foreign companies. Sounds very familiar. The business entertainment deduction. You know, kind of almost charge off anything against your income tax on entertainment now. We'll save $16 billion now. Have increase in users' fee of $12 billion. That'll bring us in $49 billion. <laughs> See... I love this kind of stuff. I love the pie charts. I love the numbers and all of that. <clears throat> um, a lot of people, their eyes just glaze over. And if people back in 1992 weren't able to process all of these numbers, because numbers and money especially gets to a certain point and people can no longer visualize how much money you're talking about, right? You know, $100 to somebody who makes $200 a day is a lot of money. And they'll calculate things like, shit, that's going to cost me $800. Fuck, that's a lot of money. I don't really have $800. But once you start talking about government spending and hundreds of billions of dollars, that figure is far too big for people to process. They just they just put it down in their mind as a lot. 
but then that's how you can get politicians saying, well, let's let's blow $50 billion on this. Let's spend $200 billion on this. The deficit's up to a trillion. Let's spend $500 million on this, $2 billion on this. And it's just like a pile of money. And people are like, yeah, let's let's spend $200 billion on this. Let's spend $500 million on this. Because once you get over, you know, a threshold, whatever that threshold is, it's probably different for everybody. But once you get over that threshold, it's just far too much to even consider. So it's like, yeah, whatever. Just whatever. Spend it. It's fine. So if people weren't willing to have that conversation back in 1992, I suspect they're even less willing to have it now in 2019 when it comes to budgets and balancing budgets and spending cuts and tax cuts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, people are just like, I hear tax cut. Yay. All right. I hear, I hear you know, $500 million getting spent on X. Woo. Okay. Why not? Money grows on trees, right? He also had a sense of humor. Uh, this is Ross Perot back in a, He was invited to the debates. He was up there sitting in the middle, splitting them. Uh, he was up there with George W. Bush and Slick Willie. The dollar's gone through the floor. Now, whose fault is that? Not the Democrats, not the Republicans. Somewhere out there, there's an extraterrestrial that's doing this to us, I guess. <laughs> and everybody says they take responsibility. Somebody somewhere has to take responsibility for this. Now, just for the record, uh, I don't have any spin doctors. I don't have any speech writers. Probably shows. <laughs> I make those charts you see on television even. That shows. Good on him. Well done. Ross Perot. Ahead of his time, some might argue, a trendsetter. Something a little different. Perhaps perhaps providing answers to questions people weren't asking yet, by and large. But well done. We salute you, Mr. Perot. May he rest in peace. Thanks for the memories. All right. Let's get to some articles here. I promised you some Florida man. And I delivereth you some Florida man. Florida man posing as cop pulls over real deputy and tells him to slow down. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> another day, another outrageous Florida man story. This time, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office said they arrested a man on July the 4th. What a day to do it, too. Independence Day, baby. Who was pretending to be a cop and ended up pulling over a real deputy. Oh. Oh, that sucks. That sucks. According to the sheriffs, it was it was a great sting until I actually came across a real policeman. <laughs> then things got a little awkward. According to the sheriff's office, around 8.30pm on Thursday, Barry Lee Hastings Jr., 35, pulled behind an off-duty deputy from Lee County on Interstate 4 and flashed his white and amber lights. After the real deputy pulled over, Hastings reportedly went up to his vehicle and warned him to slow down. <laughs> So he did, like, because we had a we had an issue here a few years ago now, where believe it or not, people were impersonating police on the freeway. They were pulling people over, male or female, and raping them on the side of the road. It was a horrendous story. So they'd put the little like uh, red flashing light on the roof of their car, get the megaphone out. This is the police. Pull over. And then when they pulled the person over, they drag them into the bushes and rape them. Male or female. Didn't matter. They weren't picky. So 
you know, impersonating a policeman to engage in some kind of horrendous crime, I would suspect would be the motivation, whether it's to rape them or rob them or steal their car or whatever it is. This guy was impersonating a policeman to do a community service. <laughs> like like he's been deputised. He was pulling people over and just saying, okay, slow down. Do you mind slowing down? Uh, do you realise how fast you're going? <laughs> incredible so at least his motivation was pure right when the deputy asked hastings for credentials hastings reportedly told him that he left those back at the office and told the deputy to follow him back to the station so he could show them to me listen to this guy okay so i don't have my badge on me i don't have my badge um would you mind following me to the police station that i don't work at (laughs) And I'll show you my badge there. So he escorted himself to jail. (laughs) The deputy then dialed 911 and Hastings drove off down I-4 eastbound before being stopped by by a a real deputy. Upon searching Hastings' vehicles, deputies said they found a functional siren box along with a citizen's band radio. Hastings is charged with impersonating a public officer. But just out of the goodness of his heart. Like I said, he wasn't trying to rape anyone. He wasn't trying to rob anyone. He just he just wanted the guy to slow down, which is fair enough. Well done. I've got to show you this one. This is utterly sensational. <laughs> Beating suspect caught on camera hitting himself in the face. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Violent attack is now in even more trouble. Police say Brandon Killian beat up a man outside the Brickhouse Saloon in Shawnee. The attack was recorded on a cell phone in late June. You see it right there. And today, charges were filed against the 28-year-old. Get this. Prosecutors say Killian also beat himself up after he was taken to jail. And as News Force Chase Horn shows us, it too was caught on camera. <laughs> Eli Heather, 29-year-old Brandon Killian, is facing up to 18 years in prison for charges related to that brutal attack caught on video. One of those charges is preparing false evidence. That's not for what happened during the beating, but what for the DA says happened after the fact to make the whole thing look like self-defense. <laughs> the side of my face hurts, yes. The side of my face hurts. Right here, where I was first shot. That's Brandon Killian describing injuries he claims happened during a fight he's accused of starting just hours before. An officer steps away to grab a camera to take pictures, then this. Punching himself in the face. I mean, surely he knows there's a video camera on him, right? Like, surely he knows if the officer's leaving him alone in a cell for five minutes and there's nobody else in the cell in the interview room or whatever it is, and the officer comes back in and he's going to have, like, a black eye and blood coming out of his mouth. <laughs> How does... What is he going to say? <laughs> Oh, no, I see. I I think you'll find it's like a delayed response to the violence. Because, like, I was getting hit a lot 
and the guy sucker punched me. But then, you know, I've read in the medical journals, I've read sometimes that uh, the effects of being hit in the face can sometimes be felt for hours afterwards. So, you know, like uh, the bruise and the blood coming out of my mouth, that was already there, but it's just a delayed response to the violence, CC. I mean, you get a motherfucker doctor in here, they'll tell you the same shit, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. Pictures than this. <laughs> District Attorney Alex. See, the sad part is this guy's gonna go to jail, right? And the other criminals are going to get word of this. They're gonna say, hey, aren't you the guy that was caught on camera punching himself in the face? <laughs> See, they won't beat him up in jail, they won't have to. They're just going to make him, he'll he'll be forced to sit there every single day at lunch or in the yard or whatever, and other criminals are going to say, hey, do that thing where you hit yourself in the face again. Come on, come on. Alan Grubb releasing this video of Killian punching himself while in police custody. <laughs> really going for it, too. He's gritting his teeth. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. But authorities say it was more than that. According to court documents, Killian My injured God. himself to make it look like he was attacked as well. Lying to the police and creating a false story will not be tolerated. Alan Grubb. And Mr. Killian has been charged accordingly. Whatever confrontations took place, my belief is... They were only an attempt to lure my client out into a parking lot so they could tag team and beat the living crud out of him. After weeks in the hospital, the victim of last month's attack, Jared Carolina, is back home with family. Today, they gathered at the Pottawatomie County Courthouse to see Killian face a judge. The only problem? Killian never showed up. He's currently in the Oklahoma County Jail for a separate drug court violation. Oh, good. But when he does have his day in court, the DA and victim's family hope both videos lead to a maximum sentence for Killian. Uh, one thing that will go viral is... <laughs> Hitting himself in the face. Hopefully when he does go to court, ladies and gentlemen, they strap a pillow to his head. Just to be safe. Just to make sure. Uh, I wanted to show you this story. All ages drag show draws controversy and protest, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a look. Today, about a dozen young people took part, setting the stage for controversy. The big event drew both supporters and protesters from all over. CBS 4's Kristen Leone went to the Mile High Comics where it took place, and she got both sides of the story. Kristen? Kathy, it got pretty heated out here rather quickly today. Now, protesters were on one side of the street, blocked by Denver police. Meanwhile, though, some of the kids, while they were walking by, were protected by supporters with umbrellas shielding them before they made their way inside the warehouse. The music fills the entire warehouse as the show starts. But the show isn't your typical dance recital at Mile High Comics, because underneath all of the glitter and makeup are young performers of all ages, some of them in drag. These kids are so brave and they're so courageous at that age. So For brave. Elizabeth Mitchell, it's been difficult to have her granddaughter be part of it all. I am a Christian and because I am a mother of a gay child. And I'm a mother of a gay child? Here's, here's a question for you. 
the people who support these things will say that it's got nothing to do with sexualizing children. We're not sexualizing children. It's about freedom and expression and, you know, uh, inclusion and all of these wonderful things. So they say we're not sexualizing children, but then they say that their child is gay. So you can't have it both ways, right? Because to be gay is to be sexually attracted to somebody of the same sex. So if it's got nothing to do with sexualizing children, how can it possibly be true then that your child is sexually attracted to somebody of the same sex? Do you see my point? Oh, we're not sexualizing children at all. Although my son here is sexually attracted to other boys. What? How, how can a 10-year-old be sexually attracted to anybody? See how it very subtly slips into that, into that realm? Very subtly, very quietly, all of a sudden, sexual attraction between children is now normal. Just like that. Just like that. Because my granddaughter is performing in this today. There's a lot of emotion and a lot of conflict for me. Before the drag show began Sunday evening, a crowd of protesters took to Gonna make it rain. Handing out the dollar bills. <laughs> Can we get another ashtray over here, please? Where's my whiskey? To the streets with their megaphones and blowhorns in hand. We feel we need to protect ourselves in a defensive manner. We're not we're not promoting any kind of violence or hatred. See, I don't know if the protesting helps or anything either. I don't know if that's going to make any difference. People standing out the front there. And I love the fact that the the child drag performers need to be protected from the signs of the protesters. So they're covering the kids' eyes and covering their ears. Don't look at those signs. Don't look at those protesters. That's dangerous. Come inside here and watch a drag queen perform a mock strip performance and stuff dollar bills into his underwear. That's <laughs> safe. We're in our safe space now. <laughs> and I, I also wonder too, how much of this is just trolling? Like, are we now at the point now where you say, you know what, if, if that's what you want to do with your kid, whatever. Um, many people will argue, like child psychologists and whatnot, Many people will argue that you're creating unnecessary problems for the children, right? For later in life. That perhaps uh, dressing six and seven and eight and nine and ten-year-olds up in drag and having them, uh, you know, perform lap dances for adults and whatnot, some may suggest that this is probably not the most recommended methods of parenting that are, are available to us in the current age. But... Um, getting angry and protesting doesn't stop them. So do you just let them go? Like if, if nobody paid attention, would they still be doing it? That's a question for you. Because this draws anger out from people. And, you know, many people would say rightly so. But the anger itself then becomes the story. The story is not what the parents are doing with the children. The, the story is now, oh, these these awful bigots and their anger and they're protesting and it's it's awful and we, we feel unsafe. What if everybody collectively said, okay, go and do it, but we're not going to pay any attention to you. We don't care. We don't care what you do. We're not paying any attention 
We're not listening to you. We don't care what you think. Just go away. Do whatever the hell you got to do. Stop sending the cameras down there. Stop protesting. Would they, would they still be as enthusiastic, I wonder? It's just a thought. It's just a thought. And we're not allowed to see the end of the video. That's fine. Um, got another story here for you. It's not all about Florida, ladies and gentlemen. Oregon man in onesie, cat named Spaghetti, found hiding in crawl space during home burglary. So our segment, What the Fuck is Going On in Florida, the Oregonians have been listening to this segment and they are now inspired to emulate. I mean, they've got a long way to go before they take the, the title off the Floridians. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're challenging for the title just yet, <clears throat> but with stories like this, they're getting there. Timothy, Timothy Smith and his fiancée thought it was odd when they pulled up to their Gresham home with relatives Sunday afternoon and spotted a MacBook Pro, a bottle of cider, and knives atop of their car. They brought the items inside, thinking maybe they were misplaced by one of their friends or new neighbours. The couple had closed on the house about two weeks earlier and hosted a party on Saturday night to celebrate their upcoming October wedding. They planned to finish moving in all of their belongings later Sunday. Inside the home, Smith and his fiancée noticed some of their things have been shifted around and spotted a vape pen in their kitchen that wasn't theirs. <laughs> Someone had taken off a central heating grate in the hallway and pulled out the filter. So then I grabbed two of the knives and I'm walking around looking for someone because clearly a person broke in, Smith24 told the Oregonian on Monday. He found the master bedroom door locked. The couple used a key to get inside. They found no one, but the window was open. The screen was torn off and someone had apparently kicked a hole in the wall, burrowing into an adjacent bedroom. The couple found holes in the wall of the bedroom too, and a mirror ripped off a nearby bathroom wall. Smith's hats filled the bathtub, and a stranger's clothes sat atop the washing machine. <laughs> Smith saw that a hatch to crawl uh, to a crawl space inside a third bedroom was open. So he went down there with the knives, he crawled through the roughly three feet tall space and yelled for anyone inside to announce themselves. Smith said he crawled about halfway through the space when he saw a cat wearing a green cashmere sleeveless shirt belonging to one of his chihuahuas staring back at him. A strange cat wearing one of his chihuahuas tops <laughs> was in the crawl space. No one leaves a dressed cat in a crawl space unless they're coming back or they're still here. So I got out and shut the door. Smith, his fiancée, and her relatives retreated outside and called 911. Gresham police officers arrived soon after. About 15 minutes later, Smith said they heard what sounded like handcuffs tightening and saw officers leading a man out the front door. The stranger was wearing Smith's fiancée's hooded onesie adorned with hearts and snowflakes. <laughs> so this guy, this guy has broken into these people's homes. He's kicked a hole in the wall He's crawling through holes that he's kicked in, in bedroom walls, taken mirrors off walls. He's left his Apple iMac out the front on top of the car. He's found a, a top for, which was intended for the homeowner's dog and then put it on his cat. So he actually takes his, cat's, his cat to robberies with him, this dude. And he's taken off all of his clothes and then put on the fiance's onesie, which had hearts and snowflakes on it. That's how they found him in the house. 
He was making a coffee. He was doing a laundry. Our sanctuary was destroyed by someone who had no business being there, and he is wearing my fiancé's clothes. There's just no reason for it. Smith said the couple spent a year looking for their first home together and three months purchasing the Gresham house. They had almost finished moving in when they were burglarized. Over the three hours, the home was left unoccupied on Sunday. Smith said the man broke in through the bedroom window, went through walls, made himself a coffee, ate a cupcake, <laughs> drank a beer from the fridge. That's the most heinous crime. That is by far the most heinous thing that this guy did. Smoked their marijuana and played video games in the garage. <laughs> this looks like a good place to squat. This looks like a good house. Shit, look at all this stuff in here. How convenient. Oh, man, dude, they got Mario Kart. Awesome. <sighs> Needles were on the ground in the garage that police said had methamphetamine inside. The man, later identified by police as 38-year-old Ryan Bishop, at some point took yarn from Smith's fiance's aunt brought to make a quilt for the couple into the crawl space with him tied one end to the bottom of the crawl space entrance and another to where he was hiding in an apparent attempt to be alerted to anyone coming into the space. <laughs> there you go. It does sound like Florida. Well done, Oregon. There he is. He just wanted to hang out, play video games, eat a cupcake and wear a onesie. Who can blame him, really? Honestly, who can blame him? I do want to show you this one. So you've probably all seen the story of the fight that broke out at Disneyland because it's such a happy place down at Disneyland. And somebody posted this on Twitter, um, Eris Girl. I don't know who Eris Girl is. But listen to the reporter. Listen, listen to the reporting that this reporter goes through in regards to the fight. It's not your usual, oh, so two families met at Disneyland and one person hit another and now charges are being faced. She gives a play-by-play -play commentary on what, on what transpires in the video. The, this woman should be commentating MMA. A man in a red shirt yells profanity at a woman who spits in his face and pushes him back. He then punches her in the head several times. Another man in a white t-shirt steps in to box it out with the man as kids are crying and one yells stop it. Another woman in a tan tank top steps in and the man in the white shirt lands a right to the left side of her face. <laughs> Sounds like she's calling a boxing match. And white tag top lands her right to the left side of her face. Jab, jab, move. Fellow par goers then step in as someone yells, call security. Even a janitor tries to intervene. Even a janitor. And the red shirt then grabs the woman by her ponytail braids. And that woman then ends up fighting again with the other woman as a family member in a black shirt tries to break it up. Then the mother of the man who jumped on the woman initially was knocked down. That lady had earlier been in a scooter right before the fight. Look at her trying to trying to charge the people with a scooter. <laughs> 
The red-shirted man then commenced to slapping the daylights out of the woman in the ponytail and knocked her down as bystanders intervened. Bystanders. Then, when the man in red found out the woman in the tan tank knocked his mom down, he thought she did it on purpose, and punched her dead in her nose Ooh. and began pummeling her head repeatedly and thrusting body shots body while shots. dragging her by her hair. <laughs> thrusting body and then he turns and pops her right in the nose, Bill. And now he's hitting her with the body shots, pummeling her those body shots. It's a great play-by-play there. <laughs> Slapping her in the face repeatedly. You can see he's backed her into the corner there, Bob. Oh, and there's the body shot. Jab, jab. A nice right hook there by the guy in the white T-shirt. You know, he's really been training hard for this event. Disneyland Live, ladies and gentlemen. The happiest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> sensational stuff one more here for you play one more video uh this was shared by larry uh it's video camera from a a, a regulation stop and apparently this happens 70 miles away from the southern border in texas Southwest 81 south of the scales, correct? Devil. I didn't. Penny Arcade says, did you see the toddler walk up and throw a punch to it? No, I missed that. Well, you got to start them young. Training starts young. I mean, if you want to take the title, the Disneyland title one day, you've got to begin training at a very early age. To be fair, I'd rather the toddlers be out there at Disneyland throwing right hooks and jabs and getting involved in fistfights than stuffing dollar bills into drag queens at a library in Colorado somewhere. That's an 80. We're going to go 21. Southbound. Right across the old uh, Gatsas store. Look at that! That's it's like a circus. Look how many people get out of that fucking truck, man. <laughs> I'm telling you now, illegal immigration is not all bad. If you could get these people working in warehousing or transport, you would able to, you know, in- increase the productivity of a warehouse or a transport company tenfold. Where normal, you know, lazy American citizens just stack a shipping container a certain way, if you get an illegal immigrant to stack a shipping container, they will be able to fit three times as much product in. Imagine how much we'll save on public transport if we could get five times the amount of people on a bus. That's that's the kind of skill set that the illegal immigrants offer. That's not being tapped yet. I mean, think about it. Think about it economically. <laughs> Like, look at them all. You you don't need you don't need one truck per household. With how entrepreneurial and industrious these people are, you could have one truck per street. We would reduce carbon emissions. We would take a lot of cars off the road. Okay, everybody just pile into the back and lay on top of each other, head to toe. It is missing something though. 
I think it, I think it's better with this. It's not the one I'm looking for. There we go. There it is. Now it all makes sense. So there's no need to be outraged by that. We could definitely tap into this skill set that the illegal immigrants have, and if not, at least bring a little bit of joy to the world. Because once you add the Benny Hill music to whatever it is, it could be something tragic. It All, all of a sudden it becomes something, ha, 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 that's pretty cool. I like that. What's everyone getting so upset about? <laughs> That'll do us to, for today. I had so many other things to get through. We're going to push them to tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. A quick reminder, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to stuff me into the back of a truck and take me down to the southern border, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Don't forget to follow our friends for the best 15 minute data downloads on the interwebs at real person PLTCS and the preacher man, ladies and gentlemen, for 45 periscopes a day at ChrisMC44. Until tomorrow, have a lovely night and a lovely day. I'll see you at 11 o'clock. I'll also be on at 4 a.m. with the starting block, but I don't think any of you are going to be around for that. (laughs) So until then, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone, have a good night. Oh, and the guy in the white shirt, a tremendous right hook, right on the chin of the young lady. And now the body shots. Good night everyone, till tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>